اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم الم تر الدین خرجن دیارم ہیو یو ناٹ سین ہیو یو ناٹ کنسڈرڈ دا کیس آف دوز پیپل ہو لیف دیر ہاؤزز الم تر ون لیٹر بٹ اٹس اے ورڈ ان اٹس ایلف اینڈ وٹ از اٹ اے کوشچن اے کوشچن از نون ایز استفہام ان عربک انٹیروگیشن And a question is asked for different reasons. Sometimes you ask to really find out about something. And other times, a question is what? Rhetorical. It's called istifham, taqreer. It's not a real question. You don't want to know about something. You're asking just to make the other person use his mind. Like, if you told somebody to get you something from the store, and they come home without it, you're like, didn't I tell you to get that? Why are you asking? Because you're making them think, what happened? I told you, why didn't you bring it? So, istifham taqreer, a rhetorical question. So, alam tara, a question, did you not see? Have you not seen? Did you not look at? You wonder, yeah, I didn't see those people who left their houses. So, what kind of seeing is this? ترى رؤية راهم زياد This رؤية is not رؤية البصر but رؤية الفكر This is not that Allah is asking us did you see with your eyes but that He is asking us did you reflect Because you know what you reflect over what you think about what you ponder over do you not see it in your mind? Like for example if I tell you think about your mother Do you see her picture in your head? Do you? Can you imagine her? Does her image come before you? Yes Likewise, if I tell you to imagine something that you have never seen. Let's say I tell you, think about the Rockies. And let's say you've never been to the Rockies. You've never seen them in real life. But can you imagine huge mountains? Can you picture them? Yes, you can. I tell you, think about a baseball game. Okay, you've never actually seen a baseball game live, but can you picture it? Yes. So, alam tara. Have you not seen? Have you not reflected? Have you not considered? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking us to use our mind and to reflect over the story that He is going to tell us. This is istifham for the purpose of tashweek, for the purpose of hath, to make us interested, to make us curious about what He is telling us. So have you not seen? إِلَى الَّذِينَ خَرَجُوا Have you not looked at, have you not considered the case of those people who left? They came out. They abandoned. What did they leave? مِن دِيَارِهِمْ They came out from their homes. Diyar is a plural of دَارْ دَالْ وَوْرَى They left their homes. And how many were they? One or two individuals? Ten people? Fifty people? No, Allah says وَهُمْ أُلُوفٌ And there were in uluf. Uluf is a plural of alf. Hamza lam fa. Alf thousand. Uluf thousands. Now can you imagine? Can you picture in your head? Thousands and thousands of people leaving their homes, leaving their communities, leaving their city, and just walking away, running away, fleeing away. Can you imagine something like that? These people... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us about a certain people who left their houses. There were thousands. Why did they leave? Hadar al-maut. Out of fear of death. Hadar. Hadar al-ra. 
precaution, to take some precaution, to be afraid of something and to do something in order to save oneself from it. So you are afraid that if you are using the knife, you might end up cutting your hand. So you are very careful in the way that you use the knife. You don't take a bigger knife, you use a smaller knife. You use a knife that you're comfortable with or you stop using it altogether because you're afraid you might cut your hand. Like many people, they don't cook. Why? I might ruin the food. Well, if you don't make mistakes, you're never going to learn. So anyway, hadar is to take precaution and as a result, avoid that which is dangerous. So they were afraid of what? Al-maut, death. They were afraid of dying. They wanted to live longer. So what happened? They left their homes and they ran away. They fled from their homes, they fled from their cities, from their communities, in order to save their lives. But what happened? فَقَالَ لَهُمُ اللَّهُ So Allah said to them, مُوتُوا Die. مِيمْ وَوْتَى Maut, death. Mutu, All of you die. Allah said to them, Die. All of you. So what happened? They died. They left their houses because they were afraid. If we stay in our homes, we are going to die. So they went away. But when they went away, death came to them over there. Allah commanded that they should die wherever they were. فَقَالَ لَهُمُ اللَّهُ مُوتُوا Now who are these people? And what is it that they were afraid of? Why is it they were afraid of death? The scholars of tafsir, they have given many opinions concerning who these people were and what is it they were fleeing from. Some have said that this refers to Bani Israel, a particular time when they were commanded to fight their enemy. They were afraid that we don't want to fight our enemy because if we fight them, we're going to die. They're going to finish us completely. So they were afraid that their enemy was going to come and attack them in their homes, in their city. So they left their country, they went elsewhere to protect themselves. But when they went there, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused them to die over there. But there's no evidence for that. How can you say they were Bani Israel when this is not specified in the Qur'an or Sunnah? Likewise, some scholars have said that it was some other nation, whatever, that they were afraid of death. Why were they afraid of death? Because this death could have been coming from the hand of their enemies who were attacking them. So in order to save their lives, they escaped. Or this death could have been caused by some plague that had spread in their country, in their cities. So they were afraid that if they stay there, those who are infected, they will pass on the infection to the rest of the people. So they wanted to save their lives, they ran away. When they ran away, they died over there as well. But we see that Allah has not told us about who these people were and what is it that they were afraid of. They were afraid of death, but what is it that could cause the death? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not specified that. And we should keep it as it is. Because when Allah does not give us certain details, there is some reason behind that. He doesn't want us to focus on the details, He wants us to focus on what? On the message, on the lesson. For example, if you want to tell your friend about you know, how you went to the mall and what you bought and how much you bought it for, and you're telling her, that, you know what, I went to the mall. And she's like, wait, which mall did you go? I'm like, listen, I went to the mall. She's like, when did you go? You're like, please, listen to me already. I want to tell you that I bought this. And she's like, which store did you get it from? And what time did you go? And who was the cashier? And who did you see there? You're like, these details are irrelevant. Just listen to what I have to say. And if you start giving too many details, then what happens? People get lost in the details. They get distracted by the details. So you have to keep your message to the point, clear, concise. Just enough details to understand the point that you're making.
So over here, Allah does not give us the details because He wants us to understand a very, very important message. And what is that? That once upon a time, there were people, thousands of them, and they thought that if they leave their homes, they could avoid death. They thought that if they ran away from their homes, they fled from their homes, they could avoid the destiny. But could they avoid it? They could not. They went from one place to the other, and what was written for them came to them. فَقَالَ لَهُمُ اللَّهُ مُوتُوا Because Allah says in the Qur'an, that قُلْ إِنَّ الْمَوْتَ الَّذِي تَفِرُّونَ مِنْهُ فَإِنَّهُ مُلَاقِيكُمْ In Surah Al-Jumu'ah, ayah 8, that say that the death which you're trying to escape, it's gonna meet you. It's gonna meet you. Like people, sometimes they just have this feeling. I don't think I should sit on the plane. Because if I sit on the plane, if I take that flight, what if that plane crashes and I die? And then what happens? They die because of some other reason. There was a plane crash a while ago in Pakistan. And this man, somebody was reporting that this man was supposed to take that flight, he was supposed to board that flight, and he came in late. He had his boarding pass and he was arguing, arguing, please let me go, please let me go. And they had, you know, closed everything, but he insisted that please let me go. And they let him in, into the plane. And that plane crashed and he died. He could have avoided that death had he known, but it was meant for him to die at that time in that place. So he ended up in that plane and that plane crashed and he died. Likewise, there are people who think that if they go somewhere or if they do something, they might die, but they still die somewhere else. A person thinks that if I have the surgery, if I get this treatment, I might die because of that, but they die anyways. At the same time, sooner or later. A person might think that if I touch this person who is infected, that infection is contagious, I might get sick. They stay away from them, the best that they can. But what happens? They end up in contact with somebody else who has that infection and they have no idea. So, what's the point? What's the lesson here? That we cannot run away from the destiny. We cannot avoid what Allah has decreed for us. We cannot avoid what Allah has decreed for us. It is not possible. Does it mean that we do nothing to protect ourselves? For example, if a person has an infection that is contagious, does it mean that you don't care and you're like, okay, never mind, I'll shake hands with them and I'll drink from the same glass as they're drinking because I love them and I don't care, you know, whatever infection has to come to you will come to you. No, you do take precaution. Which is why we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he said that when you find out that a plague has spread in a people, in a community, then if you're outside, don't go there. And if you're inside, don't leave. Because this way, the infection might spread, the plague might spread. So you do take precaution. If Allah has kept you safe, don't walk into it. Don't go into it. Don't call it upon yourself. So you have to take precaution. But... Precaution will be taken with the realization that no precaution can avert destiny. No precaution can avert what is decreed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A person might take insurance. Sometimes people go to great lengths to avoid having children and then what happens? They still have kids. This woman once mentioned about how she tried so many things to avoid pregnancy but she still got pregnant. They took every measure. So when Allah has decreed something, it will happen. 
Because the thing is that when a person tries to run away from reality, then that makes him a coward. Allah wants us to be brave, to face the reality, to accept it. If something has happened, it has happened. Okay, now what can we do? Accept it and deal with it. Don't avoid it. Because if you try to avoid something, it can come to you. Still it can come to you. Still you can be caught up in it. So, أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ خَرَجُوا مِن دِيَارِهِمْ وَهُمْ أُلُوفٌ حَذَرَ الْمَوْتِ فَقَالَ لَهُمُ اللَّهُ مُوتُوا Allah said to them, die. Because Allah can cause death to someone just like that without even any means. We think that death will come if somebody gets severely ill or they end up in an accident or they're in a place which is in flames and they're trapped over there, only then they're going to die. But people die otherwise as well. There are people who die in their sleep. There are people who think that they will live long, healthy lives. And then what happens? They drive out of their house and there comes a car and hits them from the back and they're gone. They're finished. They thought they were going to live for years and years, but death came to them when it was supposed to come. Because life and death, this is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. الَّذِي يُحْيِي وَيُمِيت He is the one who gives life and He is the one who gives death. It is in His control. And the means don't necessarily have to exist for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to cause something to happen. إِنَّمَا أَمْرُهُ إِذَا أَرَادَ شَيْئًا أَنْ يَقُولَ لَهُ كُنْ فَيَكُونْ Allah just has to say, كُنْ, be. And it happens. So, فَقَالَ لَهُمُ اللَّهُ مُوتُ Allah said, die. And then, ثُمَّ أَحْيَاهُمْ Then He gave them life. He brought all of those thousands of people back to life again. Why? To make them realize. To teach them a lesson. To give them another chance. That you were trying to avoid what was destined for you. You were trying to run away from death as cowards, fleeing, from the decree of Allah, and look, Allah caught you there too. So Allah gave them life, why? So they would learn a lesson. Allah says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَذُو فَضْلٍ Surely Allah is possessor of fadl عَلَى النَّاسِ over people. وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَشْكُرُونَ But most of the people are not grateful. What does this mean? That Allah is ذُو fadl over mankind. Fadl from the root letters, فَضَلْ لَامْ is used for grace, favor, meaning something that is given to someone, favor that you show to somebody. Fadl is also superiority, when one is superior to the other. Like you say, this action is afdal than the other, meaning this action is more superior than the other. Okay? So, inna Allah ladhu fadl, dhu possessor, sahib, he is dhu fadl, two meanings of this. First of all, what this means is that Allah has fadl meaning tafadl, meaning superiority over people. Allah has superiority over people. But most of the people don't get that. They don't understand that. Does this example clarify that Allah has superiority over people? Yes. Allah decides something for someone. That person does not want to accept it. But do they have any choice? They don't. Allah decrees for a person that they should get sick or they should get healthy or they should get rich or they should get poor. They should get something or they should lose something. They should have a child or they should not have a child. Allah decrees something for a servant. Does that servant have any say in that matter? No. Who is superior? Allah. Whose say matters? Allah's. 
whose decision will come to effect? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So inna Allah ladu fadl ala nas. Allah has superiority over us. Which is why we see that despite the fact that these were thousands of people, Allah caused them all to die just like that. And then He brought them back to life again. We don't even have control over our life and death. Who has control over that? Allah. Do we have any say over when we are born and when we die? We don't. We might not want to live right now, but Allah wants us to live. We might say, I wish I was born when the Prophet ﷺ was here. I wish I was born at a time when Isa ﷺ was going to come back. You know, a person might say that. He might wish that. But does he have any say? No. A person might say, I wish I died when I was a little child. Do you have any say? No. Allah caused you to live up to this point. You might say, I want to live longer. But whatever is decreed for you, is decreed for you. Because Allah has superiority over you and you don't. Secondly, لَذُو fadl. What this means is that Allah is the one who bestows ata, Meaning He is the one who bestows favors on who? عَلَى nas Over all people. Whatever we have, whether it is the ability to breathe, to live, to exist, this is the grace, the favor, the bounty of who? Of Allah upon us. If Allah did not allow, you and me could have done nothing at all in our lives. Nothing. Are there not people whose bodies are paralyzed? Yeah? Do those people exist? That they cannot even move their finger. They cannot even move a little bit. They cannot even move their tongue to say a word. They can't do that at all. They can barely move their eyes. Are there not people who are like that living? Yes. Anything that we have, any kind of freedom, any kind of ability, whether it is the ability to blink, or to breathe, or to speak, or to use our muscles, to use our body, this ability is from who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَذُوا فَضْلٍ عَلَى النَّاسِ Even the people who are the most weak, the most incapable, Allah is gracious towards them. Allah is generous towards them. Look at babies. What are they capable of doing for themselves? Nothing. Can they sit up? No. Can they get food themselves? No. Can they drink themselves? No. Everything has to be given to them. Everything has to be spoon-fed. Everything has to be done for them. But is Allah not generous towards them? That He puts love for them in the hearts of their parents, in the hearts of other people, that they're competing to feed the baby. That they're competing to change a dirty diaper. Yeah, it happens. The mother wants to change, and the sister-in-law wants to change, and the aunt wants to change. and Yeah, people argue over that too. They fight over that too. So Allah is gracious towards everyone. And anas, anas means all people, men, women, young, old, even Muslims and non-Muslims, people who believe in Allah and people who reject the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, people who are very obedient servants of Allah and people who are very arrogant towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is gracious to all of them. Inna Allah ladu fadlin ala nas that there are people who say the most horrible things about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you don't even want to hear. People who say the most horrible things about the Prophet sallallahu that you don't even want to hear, you don't even want to know what they have done, what they have made, what they have said. 
But still, Allah lets them live. Allah lets them enjoy life. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَذُو فَضْلٍ عَلَى النَّاسِ وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَشْكُرُونَ But most people, they are not grateful. They are not grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all the favors that He has bestowed upon them. Because if they were grateful, then they would be obedient. Because what is true gratitude? Just saying, thank you? No. Gratitude is obedience. Gratitude is submission. Gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means ita'a, becomes an obedient servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He obeys the commands of His Lord. But we see, how much is it that Allah has given to us and how much is it that we obey Him? Compare the two. Compare the two. How much is it that you have taken from Allah and what is it that you have given to Him? Compare the two. It's not the same, is it? What Allah has given to us is far greater than what we have done in return. We have not even thanked Him. وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَشْكُرُونَ Most people are ungrateful. They receive the blessings, they receive the favors, but who do they forget? Allah. They receive the blessings and they do whatever they want, but they don't obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah gives and forgives, and man, He gets and forgets. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَذُو فَضْلٍ عَلَى النَّاسِ وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَشْكُرُونَ And why do you think this is mentioned in this verse, at the end of this verse? That at the beginning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about a people who try to avoid destiny. They try to escape it. And Allah caught them. And He gave death to them. But He didn't finish them altogether there. He gave them another chance to live, to realize their mistake, to repent to Allah, to be grateful for the blessing of life again. But what do we do when Allah gives us many chances? That we don't pray fajr, but we get breakfast. And we get to live through an entire day. We don't say our prayers. We don't open the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We don't recite the Qur'an. We don't even bother to say Alhamdulillah. We don't even bother to say in the morning, Ya Allah, thank you for another day. But yet, we get everything. We get much more than what other people get. وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَشْكُرُونَ Most people are ungrateful. So what are some of the lessons in this verse? First of all, like I mentioned to you, no precaution can ever avert destiny. There is no escape from the decree of Allah. And there is no refuge from Allah but to Allah. You can never run away from Him. You can always run to Him. If you're ever in a problem, you ever have some fear, some danger, some threat, then what's the solution? Avoid praying to Allah? No. Turn to Him. Even if you've sinned, even if you've done something that is extremely wrong, even if you have been extremely ungrateful, yes, even then, turn to Allah. Why? Because who is Allah? He is a tawab the greatest acceptor of repentance. You sin. You make mistakes. You can do the worst thing possible. But if you turn to Allah within your lifetime, then you have a chance. There is no refuge from Him but to Him. You cannot avoid Him. You cannot avoid His decree, His decision. You have to run to Him to seek His help, to seek His assistance, to seek His forgiveness. Another very important lesson that we learn in this verse 
is about the absolute and perfect ability of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over everything and everyone. Absolute and perfect authority, ability of Allah. That there were thousands of people, Allah said, die. They died. Allah gave them life, they came back to life again. It's not difficult for Allah. And it happens at times that there is one earthquake. One earthquake. And what happens? As a result of that, millions of people, thousands of people suffer. Many die. Many lose their wealth, their property, their business. Everything that they possess, it's gone. Entire economies are shaken. But what do we learn? وَلَا يَخَافُ عُقْبَاهَا Allah does not fear the consequences of what He decides. He doesn't have any fear. He can do whatever He wants. He has absolute authority. Now imagine, if Allah is on your side, how successful can you be? How successful can you be? You can be successful in anything that you want to do. Look at the Prophet When he called a few people who were the closest to him to embrace Islam, what happened? They said, this is what you called us to? This is what you called us to? May your hands be broken. They prayed against him. And you would think that such a man could never survive. Such a man could never be successful. But what happened? He came as a victor to that same city, Makkah. وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ Allah made him victorious, successful. Why? Because Allah was helping him. And if a person is such that Allah is not helping him, but rather Allah is helping against him, Allah is working against him, then can this person ever be successful? No. For some time it may seem, but eventually he will finish. Look at Fir'aun. Imagine... He declared in his country that أَنَا رَبُّكُمُ الْأَعْلَى I am your greatest Lord, O people. I am your Lord. Worship me. And the people bowed down to him. They prostrated to him. They listened to him. He gave a command and was followed immediately. But what happened to that same man? He drowned in the sea. He died. Because when Allah abandons a slave, then he can never ever be successful. So if we want to be successful in our lives, then can we go about our days and nights without praying? Without begging Allah? Without praying to Allah? Without seeking His forgiveness? Without praying to Him? Without asking Him for His help and assistance? Can we do that? No. Pray as if no work can help. You should pray as if no work, no effort can ever help you. Because at the end of the day, ultimate power and authority is with who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And only He can cause you to fail as well. Aren't there a hadith that tell us that if people had everything, everything to grant you something, and if Allah decides not to grant that to you, can you have it? No. And if all of mankind, they withheld something from you, but Allah wants to give it to you, can the people do anything? No, they can't. We know about this, that dua, prayer can even change the destiny of a person. Because who can change that destiny? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So again, goes back to the same thing. You turn to Allah, you ask Him, because He has ultimate authority. So fear of death, this is something natural. Fear of difficulty and hardship, this is something natural. We do get afraid of these things. But then what should we do? Pray to Allah. 
that, Oh Allah, give me a good death. Give me a peaceful death. Give me an easy death. Make my death easy. Don't make it hard upon me. Make that dua for yourself. And for any trouble, any difficulty, any fear that you may have, turn to Him because He can change the things for you the way that nobody else can. Then we also learn in this verse that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always gracious to us. No matter what we are suffering, no matter what situation we are in, remember that Allah is still kind and merciful to us. A person might say, but I'm going through a terrible divorce. I'm going through such a difficult time in my life. I'm experiencing so much hardship. Even then, remember that Allah is very gracious to you. Because sometimes, blessings come in the form of hardship. And when a hardship comes, there is always some benefit along with it. You can only see the negative side, but there is also a good side to it. So whatever state we are in, remember, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَذُو فَضْلٍ عَلَى النَّاسِ So what should we do? Be grateful in every situation. This is why the Prophet ﷺ, he praised and thanked Allah in good times and also in difficult times. If there was anybody who endured difficulty in their life, who was he? The Prophet ﷺ. He suffered every kind of difficulty, but we see that he was the most grateful person. You know, recently I learned, somebody shared this with me, that these researchers, they noticed that children who grew up in poverty, they performed really poor in their school, in their work. Why? Because of their poverty. And they were trying to figure out what was the reason behind that. They thought maybe it was inadequate food or nutrition or emotional support or what. But they realized that children who grow up in poverty, their mind gets affected. Their brain gets affected because of that. So they are not able to remember many things. They're not able to do many things that other children can. So their poverty is having an effect on their brain. But I was thinking at that time that look, the Prophet ﷺ, didn't he suffer from poverty? Didn't he? There were times when he had two rocks tied to his stomach. There were other companions like Musab ibn Umair who was extremely wealthy, but then when he became Muslim, he became very poor to the point that when he was buried, you know what was on him? They didn't have enough cloth to cover his body, so they put grass on his feet to cover his feet. Just imagine how poor he was. And this was the man who would wear almost every day brand new clothes that were imported. But it did not affect them. Why? Because they were grateful servants of Allah. So when a person is grateful, he is happy in every situation, whether it is poverty or divorce or death of a loved one or loneliness or the injustice of others. Look at Asiya. Did she not succeed despite the fact that she dealt with the tyranny of Fir'aun? Yes. So what's the solution? That we be grateful, we remember the favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon us, no matter what situation we are in. We blame others. So and so does not allow us to do this. So and so is making our life difficult. Because such and such happened, I cannot do that. No, you have a reason to be grateful and happy in every, every situation. Remember the favors of Allah so that you can be successful. So if we remember the favors, then we can be happy Successful in any situation, any circumstances. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq to be grateful because no one can be grateful unless Allah allows them. Let's listen to the recitation of these ayat. 
أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ خَرَجُوا مِنْ دِيَارِهِمْ وَهُمْ أُلُوفٌ حَذَرَ الْمَوْتِ فَقَالَ لَهُمُ اللَّهُ مُوتُوا ثُمَّ أَحْيَاهُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَذُو فَضْلٍ عَلَى النَّاسِ وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَشْكُرُونَ We'll do a quick review of the ayah and then we will continue. أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ خَرَجُوا مِنْ دِيَارِهِمْ Have you not reflected on the story, on the case of those people who left their homes, وَهُمْ أُلُوفٌ And they were thousands. There were so many in their number, yet they left. And why is it that they left their homes? Due to حَذَرَ الْمَوْتِ Due to fear of death. They wanted to live longer. They wanted to save their lives. So they left their homes. Generally, when a person is in trouble, when he is in some difficulty, then where does he go? Where does he go? To his home. Because the house is where he feels safe, where he feels protected. But if the problem is very severe, if it's very great, if it escalates, then what happens? People leave their homes. This is the reason why if a woman ever leaves her house, her children, her husband, then the problem has to be really, really severe. Because typically women, they love their houses. They love their children. They love their families. And if a woman leaves her house, then what do people say? Oh, look at her. She doesn't even care about her family. But you know what? The problem was too unbearable for her. She doesn't leave because of a small thing. She would have left because something great happened. So anyway, the point that I'm making over here is that they left their homes out of fear of death because they knew that if they remained in their houses, if they remained in their country, they would not be safe. What was the reason? Why is it they were afraid of death? There are many opinions that have been given by the scholars, but what are two? Why is it that they left? Why is it that they were afraid of death? Because their enemy was attacking. They were to fight an enemy. And they thought that if we fight this enemy, that's it, we're done. If we fight them, we're going to die. They felt that they were weak. They weren't capable of fighting the enemy. But Allah commanded them that you have to defend yourselves. Instead of defending themselves, they said, okay, you know what, forget it, let's run away. They ran away and death came to them wherever they had escaped to. Another reason that is given by scholars is that some plague, some disease had spread. And they were afraid that if we lived here, then those who are infected, those who are sick, will pass on the illness to us. So in order to save their lives, they ran away. But when they ran away, still, they were caught by that illness. Now, does this mean that if a person fears that some harm, some danger is going to come upon him, he should not protect himself? He should not avoid it? He should. But not at the cost of disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the main thing. That yes, take precaution, yes, save yourself, yes, protect yourself, but it should not be done in a manner that while you are protecting yourself, you are also disobeying Allah at the same time. So for example, a person has this fear that if I go to Hajj, I'm going to get sick. So I'm not going to go to Hajj because any person that I have come across who's been for Hajj, they come back very, very sick. So I'm not going to go. They're taking precaution Okay, but at the cost of what? Neglecting an obligation. They have to perform hajj. It's an obligation upon them. Isn't it so? 
So they think by not going for Hajj, they will remain healthy. Well, people who don't go for Hajj, doesn't mean they never get sick. They also get sick. Likewise, if a person says, I'm not going to give charity, because if I give charity, I will have less money. So I should be very careful about how I save my money, how I use my money. So I'm going to save all my money. I'm not going to give any in charity. I'm taking precaution. I'm being careful. Okay, but that same money, could it not be stolen? Yes. Could you not lose that money yourself? Yes. So taking precaution, protecting yourself, it is important because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to do so. We know that one of the reasons behind the commands that Allah has given is what? Protection of life, security of life, protection of wealth. So it is one of the objectives of the sharia to protect our lives and to protect our wealth, to protect our honor, all of that. But it should not be done at the cost of disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These people, when they ran away, they were disobeying Allah. Allah told them that you have to defend yourselves. And a hadith tells us that when a plague has spread in a particular area, then the people should not leave that area. They should remain there. So they were disobeying Allah. They ran away from the decree of Allah. And what happened? Death caught up with them. فَقَالَ لَهُمُ اللَّهُ مُوتُوا ثُمَّ أَحْيَاهُمْ Allah said to them, die. They all died. And then as a favor upon them, Allah gave them another chance. He brought all of them back to life. Why? Because Allah is لَذُو فَضْلٍ عَلَى النَّاسِ He is very, very generous towards people. But what's the state of many people? وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ What does the ayah say? لَا يَشْكُرُونَ They are not grateful. Because if they were grateful, then what would they do? They would obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in every situation. You know, our lives our wealth, our abilities, who has given them to us in the first place? Allah. Our health, who gave it to us? Allah. So why should we not use our health, our time, our wealth, our abilities, our talents for the sake of Allah, to please Him, to earn His pleasure? It doesn't make any sense that the gifts He gave to us, we become stingy in using them for His sake. It doesn't make any sense. This is just like parents, they give money to their children that okay, take care of yourselves and also look after us. But what do those children do? They say, no, 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 my money. I'm not going to give my father this. I'm not going to give my mother this. Well, who gave it to you in the first place? Who raised you up in the first place? Who got you that education and trained you so that you were able to get this job and make all that money? You're being stingy with your parents? How illogical is that? So likewise, we see that whatever Allah has given to us, we are to use that in obedience to Him. So just for the sake of protecting ourselves, we cannot disobey Him at the same time. Now many times people avoid meeting some relatives. Why? Because they are afraid. If I go in front of them, they will fight with me, they will argue with me, they will say this and this to me. I don't want to hear all that rubbish, so I'm never going to meet them again. You're taking precaution, but at the cost of what? At the cost of what? Breaking ties with the relatives, which is something that is forbidden. So a person has to be careful, but at the same time he has to check, am I disobeying Allah in doing this? Or am I still in the state of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Because if I'm disobeying Allah, then what can happen? This problem can come to me no matter what precaution I take, no matter what I try to avoid. Still, the harm that I'm afraid of can come. So a person should always remain in obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Then Allah says, وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ And fight in the way of Allah. وَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ سَمِيعٌ عَلِيمٌ And know that Allah is hearing and He is knowing. Who is being addressed over here? The Muslims. And remember Surah Al-Baqarah is a Madani surah. It was revealed in Medina, the early period of the Medinan era. And at that time, the Muslims were commanded to fight their enemy. We have learned earlier that fight who? Those people who? Fight you. الَّذِينَ يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ Fight those who fight you. Because the Muslims, when they were in Mecca, they suffered a lot. But what were they told? Be patient. Keep your hands to yourself. Don't take any revenge. Don't take any steps in order to take revenge from the enemy. And even if they were capable, even if they were capable of fighting their enemy, what were they told? Don't do so. You think Umar radiallahu anhu was not capable of fighting against those who harmed him, those who dared to harm the Prophet ﷺ? You think he wasn't capable of doing that? Of course he was. Hamza radiallahu anhu, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, he was one of the bravest men. You think he was not capable? Of course he was. But the Muslims were told, no, you cannot fight right now. Because our deen does not teach us aggression. It teaches us that we should practice the deen and we should spread our deen how? Through peaceful measures. And this is the reason why fighting was completely disallowed at the beginning. And because Muslims were weak also, there was no sense in fighting at that time. But later on, when the problems escalated, when the enemy was not learning at all, the mushrikeen were not leaving the Muslims anywhere, then what happened? The Muslims were told, now you have to stand up and defend yourself. But they were hesitant. They were afraid. Now they did not want to fight. Why? Because they were in Medina. Yes, there was danger, there was threat of the enemy, but still things were much better. In Mecca, there was fear all the time. But in Medina, that fear was not there anymore. They were safe. And they were also reluctant in facing the enemy because after all, Muslims were few in their numbers and they were still weak compared to their enemy. They had a lack of resources. They were few in numbers. They were weak compared to their enemy. So they did not want to fight. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ Fight in the way of Allah. You have to do so because you have to defend yourself. If you don't defend yourself, then you are putting yourselves into destruction. You're throwing yourself into destruction. Like we learned earlier, that وَلَا تُلْقُوا بِأَيْدِيكُمْ إِلَى تَهْلُكَ Don't throw yourselves into destruction, into ruin. Now, why do you think the example is mentioned of the people of the past who were thousands in their numbers and still they ran away fearing death? Why do you think this is mentioned right before the command to fight? That the Muslims are being taught that okay, you may be few in your number, but don't think that if you fight, you will necessarily die. And if you stay away from fighting, you'll be safe and secure. No. Look at those people. They ran away from Qital and death came to them. They fled from the battlefield and what happened? They all died. Death came upon them. They were finished. So don't think that death will come to you if you go to the battlefield. It's not necessary. Every person is going to die. That is for sure. But there are many people who participate in hundreds and hundreds of battles, but yet they don't die in a battle. Where do they die? On their deathbed. Take the example of who? Khalid ibn Walid radiallahu anhu. When he was dying, 
he was expressing his pain and his feelings that how sad he was that he was dying on his deathbed. He wanted to die as a martyr in a battlefield. But he did not die like that. And he said that I've fought in you know, this many battles. Every part of my body is wounded. Every part of my body has suffered. Either a stab from a sword or a dagger or an arrow or something like that. I have suffered in my body. But still I did not die in any battle. I die today on my deathbed. So Allah says, وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلَ اللَّهِ And know that Allah is hearing and knowing. Why is this mentioned that Allah is hearing and knowing? Allah hears what you say. What you express of your feelings concerning qital fi sabilillah. And He is knowing. He knows about the state that you're in. Your capability, your strength, your weakness. And Allah says over here that fight in the way of Allah. What does it mean by that? Qatilu fi sabilillah. What does it mean by that? That whenever a person wants to take revenge from his enemy, he should just go and teach his enemy a lesson? Just like that? Kill innocent people? Saying that, oh, we're taking revenge? Is that qital fi sabilillah? No. Fi sabilillah, if you imagine this, in the way of Allah. Meaning a person is on his way to Allah. This life is a journey, right? We're journeying through our lives. Why? At the end we're going to meet who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? We learn in the Quran that إِنَّكَ كَادِحٌ إِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ كَدْحًا فَمُلَاقِيهِ That, oh man, you are struggling on your way and at the end you will meet who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you are on the way to meet Allah. And on this way, you are trying your best to live by the commands of Allah, to live by the sharia, to do what Allah wants you to do. But what happens? There are many people or many things that prevent you. Shaitan comes. Sometimes people come. They create hurdles. They create difficulties. So if anyone is stopping you from going forward, what will you do? You will remove that hurdle. You will fight against that hurdle if needed. Just imagine... You're walking, you're going towards your home. And what happens? The street is blocked. Okay, so what do you do? You try to take another street. You reverse, you go somewhere else, you try to take another route. But if that route is also blocked, then what happens? You go and find out what's happening. Can I please go? And they say, no, no, you cannot go. We're working over here. Like, my house is there. I need to get to my house. You can't stop me. I have to get there. So what will you do? You will argue, you will fight, you will make your way through. Correct? If they say, no, 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 we're just blocking this way completely. We're going to put a wall over here. This road is going to be blocked. Does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense. So if anybody stops you from proceeding further towards your destination, then what will you do? You will fight against them. You will not let them stop you. So on the way to Allah, there are many hurdles. Sometimes those hurdles are created by our own nafs, by our own selves. Sometimes shaitan, sometimes the people around us. Sometimes very openly and sometimes indirectly. So whatever comes on your way to Allah, you have to remove it. Sometimes it can be removed very easily. You just say to somebody, why are you stopping me? And they listen to you. And sometimes they don't listen at all. It gets to the point where they raise up arms against you. Like it happened with the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims. They were not allowed to practice their deen. They were not given any freedom. So in that case, you have to fight the enemy. But remember, 
that fi sabilillah also includes another thing. That it has to be done in a manner that will earn you the pleasure of Allah, the approval of Allah. You will have to do it in the way that is appropriate, in the way that is correct, in the manner that Allah approves of. Not that you start killing everybody and hitting everybody and committing injustice and transgression against people. No. You have to do it in the manner that Allah approves of. And what is that manner? It includes two things. It includes the niyyah and it includes the amal. The niyyah meaning the intention. What should the intention be of a person? That he is doing it for whose sake? For the sake of Allah. Not to show off, look how confident I am. Look how brave I am. Look at how much resources I have. No. This is for the sake of Allah, to earn His pleasure. We learn in a hadith that once a man came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said that a man fights for pride, another fights for bravery, another fights for showing off. Meaning people want to show how brave they are, how intelligent and smart they are, how much they love their clan or their group, which is why they will fight in their cause, in their defense. So people fight for different reasons. Is this for the sake of Allah? The Prophet ﷺ said, no. مَنْ قَاتَلَ لِتَكُونَ كَلِمَةُ اللَّهِ الْعُلِيَ فَهُوَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ The one who fights so that the word of Allah is exalted, meaning for the sake of Allah, then that person is in the way of Allah. So, وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ The niyyah has to be correct. The intention has to be correct. And secondly, the amal, the action. What does it mean by that? Meaning, the method, the manner of fighting should be according to the rules of the sharia. And I have mentioned to you some before, that for example, only those who commit aggression against the Muslims, they will be fought. Those who don't fight the Muslims will not be fought against. It's those who commit aggression against you, whom you have to fight. So in other words, innocents will not be harmed. Likewise, women, children, old people, monks, the worshippers, even if they're worshipping idols, or you can say they're worshipping Isa alayhi salam. Okay? Because such people, they have nothing to do with the world and the politics. They're mostly concerned with what? Their place of worship and their ibadah. So even such people, the ruhban, they will not be killed. They will not be fought against. Unless they are the ones who are fighting in the battle. So obviously, they'll be fought against. That's a different case. But anyway, Allah says over here that, وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ سَمِيعٌ عَلِيمٌ And know that Allah is hearing and He is knowing. Now, what does this ayah teach us? The main lesson that we learn is that there are certain things that Allah has commanded us to do. They are obligation upon us. Whether it is salah or it is going for hajj or it is giving zakah, any obligation, being good towards parents, maintaining ties with the relatives, speaking the truth, fulfilling our promises, fulfilling our commitments. There are many things that Allah has obligated upon us that are wajib, that are fard. And we have to fulfill them. We have to observe them. We cannot say that, no, I'm afraid that if I do such and such, I will suffer in this and this way. No. Because we can suffer otherwise as well. We learn in the Qur'an that there were some people who said to the Muslims that don't go out in the way of Allah because if you do so, you'll die. So stay here. Just go make an excuse before the Prophet ﷺ and he will allow you to stay. So don't go out for the battle. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed concerning them in Surah Ali Imran, Ayah 168, that الَّذِينَ قَالُوا لِإِخْوَانِهِمْ وَقَعَدُوا 
لو اطاعونا ما قتلوا those people meaning the hypocrites who said about their killed brothers while they themselves sat at home that if they had only listened to us they would not have been killed meaning if they had listened to us and not gone out for the battle they would have been alive so in other words they're saying see they shouldn't have gone for the battle they went this is why this happened now another person might say to you, you know what Don't go for that course. Don't go on the weekends because if you go, see, now you're having all that difficulty. See, now you can't keep up with all your work. See, it's so difficult for you. People say that. But what does Allah say? قُلْ فَدْرَأُوا عَنْ أَنفُسِكُمُ الْمَوْتَ إِن كُنْتُمْ صَادِقِينَ Say to these people that okay, avert death from yourselves if you're truthful. If you think that staying at home is going to save you is going to avert death from you, then okay, avert death from you when it comes to you. If you're truthful. But didn't all of those people die? Eventually they did. Likewise we see that there are people who stay at home, who don't study the Qur'an, who don't do any public service, who don't go out to help humanity, to do any kind of welfare work, to help others. They're just concerned about their own selves. Tell me, are their houses always pick and span? Is it so? No. Are their children always perfectly dressed and nice and clean and well-kept? No, not necessarily. Even those people who stay 24 hours in their homes, concerned about their homes, their families, they also have family problems. Their houses also become extremely dirty and filthy. They also lose balance. So it's not necessary that when a person goes out in the way of Allah, because of that he will suffer. Suffering will come anyway. Because we learned earlier, وَلَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ Allah will definitely test us through different different ways. No matter what situation of our lives we are in. Difficulties and tests will come. But isn't it good that we suffer in the way of Allah? Isn't that much better? Because at least you got reward for your suffering. Right? And if you're not in the way of Allah, you suffer, what do you get? Nothing. But when you're in the way of Allah, at least you get the reward. So, Difficulties will come, trials will come, but they should not prevent us from going out in the way of Allah. They should not prevent us from obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Small example. Sometimes we think that if we sleep extra, we will have a lot of energy throughout the day. That's what we generally think. If we sleep in, we sleep for many, many hours, then we'll be able to do our work, we'll be energetic, we'll have enough energy to go through the day. But then what happens? You sleep in, but still you get hardly anything accomplished. On the other hand, there are days when you say, okay, never mind, I'm not going to sleep after Fajr. I'm going to stay awake and I'm going to recite Quran and I'm going to say my morning du'as. So how much sleep do you lose? An hour? 45 minutes? But still, you get through your entire day. You still get all of your work done. And even if you don't, at least you have this satisfaction, I had a good morning. I had a productive morning. So we should never be stingy with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When Allah is so generous with us, we should also be generous in our obedience.